Great. Well, we're in for a great, great day today. Uh, it started well, enjoying the presence of God. I want to just share with you something. I'm going to just begin. We started off this year talking about how God wants you to grow. How many people in their heart really understand God wants you to grow? Uh, and the, no growth without a bit of pain it means something will change. And it won't change until you identify what is going to change. And so we looked uh, last week uh, at, a, at a message of uh, week before last on breaking through your limitations. We identified a number of areas that your life could be restricted or limited. How many believe you've got limitations in your life? Distinct areas. It can be uh, in, in the area of finance, a financial limitation. can be an emotional one. There's issues in the emotions haven't been sorted out. Uh, it could be a relational one, the spiritual one. There's a whole range of ways. It could be just a skill limitation. You know, and I find like in working Word documents, I've only got so much skill on it, and then when I start to try and get these things to line up, they all renumber, relabel, and reline, and drives me crazy, and uh, I want to hit the computer. And so that's a skill limitation. Okay? And it's no use staying there. You just make a decision to actually take the actions that will change that. Get someone to show you, practice it, and come up with another level of skill. So if we want to grow in the capacity that we have to serve God, we have to make a decision to change. And we may need to get others to help us in that change. Let's go back to that scripture in Isaiah 54. I want to pick it up and just look at a specific area. I want to help you change. I want to help us actually help us all change. I want to break through in this area to a new level too. And uh, in verse 2, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent. You enlarge, enlarge. And let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Don't hold back or place limitations Lengthen your cord, strengthen your stakes, and here's why we have to prepare, because you will expand to the right and the left. So expansion requires we demonstrate faith that God will do it by making stretches in our personal life. So uh, we go down here, it says, for you should expand to the right and left, your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Now this is the part we're going to focus on here, because these are some of the limitations that people have, all of us have it. All of us have it. Someone says they don't, tell them, come on, you're dreaming and you're in denial. And we will establish clearly these things are an issue. And uh, so do not fear. Do not fear. How many people at times have felt afraid? How many feel, have felt that sort of gut-pulling fear when you're knotted up inside and you're almost paralyzed in your mind? I've had that a few times too. Uh, we've all had that. See, so fear. Fear is a spirit from hell. And uh, it says, fear not, neither be ashamed. Neither be ashamed. How many people have felt at some time something about you wasn't good? You didn't like it. If you could change it, you'd change it. Okay then. Sometimes you have a look at the movie stars, we think they've got it all together, but I'm curious as to why if they've got it all together, they have to do so much surgery to change what it looks like. It means they're ashamed of what they are like, ashamed of what they are. And so fear and shame are extremely powerful spirits that work to limit us and restrict us. And I felt the Lord put it on my heart over two or three weeks to begin to help us face this area so that we can become enlarged. So if I said that this is a problem for the majority of the church, most people think it's the guy next to me. But I want to, over two or three Sundays, just help us see how it is actually an issue for all of us individually, and it is one corporately as well. 
I want to show why it is and then how you can get out of it. And uh, as I was uh, thinking about the series and what to do and how to just speak about it, I felt the Lord tell me, well, don't focus on shame. Focus on the theme, unashamed. Shame-free, unashamed. So rather than, rather than finish up with that bit, I'm going to start with that bit. I want us to today get a little bit of a picture about where, how God designed us to operate. And then what actually changed all of that and then what it'll look like when we've shifted again. And then in the subsequent weeks, we're going to look at the issue of how shame and fear come in, and then how you can recognize them. Because if you don't recognize it, no doubt you'll never change. There are many of us have lived in a, what I'd call a toxic, shame-filled family environment. Where, you, uh, probably if I use this word, put-downs are regular. Now, if you've been in an environment where put-downs are regular, the chances are you've already accepted the message of shame, you're living with it in your life, and you can hardly recognize it when the put-downs come. And so we want to shift all of that so that the church individually and therefore corporately becomes a people committed to build others up because we ourselves are built up on the inside. See, we ourselves unashamed. A person with shame in their life will shame others. They will use it as their way of dealing with issues and relationships. So we want to help you address this. I will share it sometimes, uh, some things from my own life, uh, the struggle with these areas of both shame and fear, and uh, how I've been helped by the Lord in a major way, and yet still now feeling like it's another layer, come up another level. And so I purpose, well, I'm going to work with these areas to just come up to a new level unashamed. Eh? You say that? God wants you to be unashamed? Tell the person next to you, God wants you to be unashamed, shame-free. <laughs> Glory to God. Okay, and notice what he says in this verse. This is his promise to us. You will forget the shame. That means it won't be in your mind, shame thoughts anymore. And you won't remember the reproach. So whatever's happened in your life, in your past, whatever ways you've thought about yourself, you will not remember that stuff. You've changed how you think. It's, a, it's an internal change. I want to show you the process of change as well because it's a process. Now, of course, I know you'll all love to come up, get hands laid on, you get it all fixed up, if only. Shame was built a block at a time and you'll have to tear it down a block at a time as well. And which I want to give you the keys and the tools how you can do it. So then you'll stand up unashamed. Now, I'll get to it shortly, what unashamed will look like. Uh, but you have to understand this. So we'll start this off. When you stand up unashamed, you will stimulate and stir and provoke a reaction against you from those who are full of shame. Who will say... Who do you think you are? And try to shame you to going back into your cave again. Church, it's time to come out of the caves we've hidden in, eh? Become shame-free, unashamed, unashamed, unashamed as God intended us. Shame is a demonic, devilish thing from the one who has been shamed more than anyone. God has got no shame to put on you. Unfortunately, the church, the church, corporately, or speaking of the bigger picture, often is a toxic shame center. 
And so we have to recognize this one area. If you can, over the next two or three Sundays, begin to get a handle on this area and the process of change and make a decision, in the course of this year, I will break through all issues of shame God shows me, and I'll begin to tackle the fears around my life. I guarantee your life will change in almost every area. Absolutely in every area. Something will be different about you, and you will start to stand up and emerge. And I tell you this too, all existing relationships you have will begin to change. Because people who were used to the shameful person living in a cave now don't know how to relate to this one who can't be shamed back into the cave. Ah, good stuff, eh? Good stuff. Come on. I want to stand up. Uh, and uh, and uh, let's, so let's go back and have a look now. Uh, that God's heart for us is to be totally unashamed. It's the heart of God for you to be totally shame-free. And uh, so we're not going to go into too much into shame today. We want to stick on unashamed. We want to look at God's original design. So let's have a look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. God's original design for us, unashamed. Now, if you want to know how life ought to be lived, don't look how others around you are living it. Find out how God designed it to be lived. Go to the source. You've got to go to the Word of God. You've got to see what God says about you and about life as He designed it. He designed us to function in a certain way. And so we're going to look at the original design. We're going to see just a little bit about how it shifted and what caused it to shift. Particularly, I want you to see in the initial stage, the primary shift that took place, how it took place. And then later on, we're going to look in another session how to get back into that place of being absolutely shame-free. All righty then, let's have a look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man is a little bug. He didn't say that, did he? An insect. No, a worm. He didn't say any of that. What did he say? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. God made man in his own image, a reflection of what he is like. Loving, expressive, passionate, full of dreams, creative. That's what he made us to be like. He said, oh, I'm not like that. Change. You're living below what you're designed to do. Come on, you've got to continually go back to the standard God set first when he did it first, and secondly, when we look at Jesus Christ, who is the only standard. Most people look at someone else saying, I'm doing better than them, I must be all right. Don't use that. Notice, notice this, it says, he made us in his image and likeness. God made you with emotions. He put emotions in you. So you've got some men are pretty staunch. Too bad, you're real broken up, you know. You can't live like, like you're supposed to. There's something wrong in you. You're damaged. Staunch is a fig leaf to cover what's wrong. God is a passionate God. Jesus loved. Jesus wept. Jesus was angry. Jesus had all the range of emotions. If you hunt through the Bible, you find God's got things he loves, things he hates, things get him wild up, things that touch his heart. He has compassion. He has anger. He has all range of emotions, and he's real happy to express them. And he designed you not only as a spirit being capable of, of working and living and moving in the dimension of the spirit, he designed us to represent what he's like. So if your emotions are messed up, you cannot represent properly what God is like. How can you? You will reinforce 
the image most people have that God is cold and unemotional instead of loving and passionate. So we have to not be, not be driven or out of control in our emotions, but understand they have a part of expressing who we are as people as God has designed us. God has caused you to be creative. So I'm not the creative type. See, the moment I use the word creative, you will automatically think of someone who does art or makes craft, or they're creative. You have put a mindset that limited creativity. But is it true that God is creative? You're made in His image? By design, you are creative. Now, whether you are creative in your expression has a lot to do with whether we're functioning right. Okay? Now, if I'm not functioning right, I won't express creativity. Listen, I'll show you how. We'll get on to it a bit another time, but let me just give you the tip on this one. Whatever God gifted you to do, He will enable you to be creative in that area. Okay? In other words, to come up with ideas others haven't thought of. But of course, if you're full of shame, you want to copy what everyone else wants and you won't want to be different. That's why we've got to deal with the lies of shame so we can actually dare to be different, dare to be ourselves, dare to be creative. Creative people say, oh, i got a great new way of doing that. Shameful people say, we've never done it that way before. They shut down the creative gift. We've got to stop that. We've got to actually make room for the expression of the gifts and creativity that people have in their life. And that's why you've got to deal with shame, because shame will shut it down. As we'll see in a moment, I'll tell you what it does. I'll tell you two major things it does to us, and then uh, we've got to work on how to get out of that and be what God called us to be. Amen? So God has emotions, given expression. We're designed to represent Him. We're designed to represent that God is a good God. So when people see you, do they see in your life, God is really good. God is good. He is good. Here's the second thing that the Bible tells us very clearly there. Notice in verse chapter 1 and verse 31. When God saw everything He'd made, indeed it was very good. So when God looks at you, what does He see? Very good. Oh, very good. Whoa, like those lions are pretty good, but look at this man I've made. Whoa, very good. Hey, those fish, well, the fish are pretty good. Whoa, look at the man I've made. Very, very, very good. God's basic looking at you is that you reflect what He's like. You're very, very good. The core of your identity is, I am very, very good. Why am I good? Not because I'm doing good things. Because I'm made in the image of someone who's really good. But you see, already I can feel it rising up. Oh, what about sin? Oh, what about, you know, well, you know, all have sinned. Yeah? That's true. But let me just give you this thought here. Suppose you saw a little, your little child. Here's your beautiful little child. And the child has had an accident, fallen off something, and now your child comes running to you. And as you look now, that beautiful child that went out to play now is looking quite different. The child now has got uh, a bone sticking out of the arm here. The, the, the skin is broken. There's blood, and there's this terrible sight there. And the first sort of reaction is, <laughs> you don't even look at it. But, but then you go. Basically, it's still your child. Just your child's damaged. Now, you're not going to reject your child. You're not going to abuse your child. So you just can't do anything now, can you? 
you're really bad. You don't treat a child that way because their arm is broken. They're your child, but they're damaged, and they need your help to be repaired to their original condition. That's how God sees us. If you can get that concept in your mind, it'll change how you relate to God. God is not there ready to beat on you because you have a broken arm in some part of your life and there's a bone sticking out. He's not there to beat on you. Jesus said, I've got no condemnation to give. What he came to do was to restore us so we could function like God intended us to function. So you've got to understand that when Jesus came, he came to actually address the root problem and then to restore us so we can live life like we're supposed to live life. The trouble is many Christians only get a bit of the way. We give our lives to Jesus and never embrace changing to become what he called us to become and to fulfill the destiny of representing him in the community. Hence, the church is withdrawn from society and has meetings instead of being stirred in God to change the world we live in bringing creativity into it in a way they've never seen before. That's what I see. Some people, they have issues over a number of things, of course. One they have issues over is, you know, getting buildings painted and done up nice, and, oh, there's money, money, money. That's a wrong thinking. How will people know that the God we serve is excellent if we don't present ourselves individually and corporately in an excellent way? They just, it confirms the wrong impression they have don't get near God. You lose all you have. You'll become mean and miserable and bitter and twisted, and you'll be a hypocrite like all these other people we've seen. Do you understand? It's a concept that people have got a hold of. They want to believe it, of course, because they don't want to come near God. But actually, what they're looking for is to see, have you got something for real that I need? Has your marriage got something different? Have you got something different? That's why we need to become unashamed. And you see just in a moment. So, so, so the, uh, God, very good. So when God looks at you, he's still saying, very good, very good, very good. So what about this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. Yeah, I know, but you're still very good. You're made in my image. Your value comes not from whether you did well. Your value comes from who you are. Who you are is made in the image of God. That's why evolution and all that goes with that devalues you as being made in the image of God. You cannot ever, ever base a person's value on what they're doing. It has to be based on what God says, hey, good. God is good and what he's made is good. God doesn't make any junk. He didn't make junk when he made you. You've believed a lie. We've got to change that lie this year. Okay, whatever make God makes us good. Here's the third thing now. God clothed man in his own glory. I'm going to explain what that means in a moment. Just keep your finger there in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and uh, look to quickly in Psalm, Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Now, we're looking at the original design because if you want to see how something should function, go look at the manual and how it was made and then see what needs to be done to repair it. Okay, then in, in uh, Psalm, 80, Psalm 8, sorry, I've got 84 here. Psalm 8, in verse 4, the Bible says, uh, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. How about that? You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Look at that, verse 5. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Crowned him with glory. Now, what does that mean? 
The word glory means, you see, the Bible uses words and we say, oh, crown with glory and honor. Oh, that's nice. That's really good. What does it mean? See, so when God designed man, man was made slightly lower than the realm of God. What is man that you continually think about him? Or the son of man that you come to visit him and meet with him to relate with him? You have made him a little lower than Elohim, God himself. God has created us a little lower than himself, but we're of the same stock. We're children of the living God by faith in Christ. He says, you have crowned him with glory. To be crowned means literally be positioned for a role of ruling. And what did God do to man to position him for this realm of ruling or having dominion, whatever all that might mean? He crowned him with glory. Well, what on earth is that? And what would that look like? Well, the word glory has a number of meanings, but it referred to the tangible presence of God. The tangible presence of God. I think in Psalm 104 it says, God is clothed with light. So when in the Old Testament uh, God made himself visible, uh, many times what they saw was they saw what they call a Shekinah glory. So if you went into the holiest place of the tabernacle, a house where God physically manifested himself, it was a totally dark room, no natural lights, but the brilliance of God's presence lit it up. It just lit the place up. You just about need sunglasses to go in there. And the presence of God was so powerful, if you, were, if you didn't do it right, you'd fall down dead. So he was clothed, God is clothed in light. The Bible says he is clothed in light and immortality. So when Adam and Eve were, uh, first were born, they didn't look just like us. They actually had a clothing of God upon them. There was a manifestation of light, of glory. Uh, in Exodus chapter 33, uh, Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I'll, show, I'll let all my goodness come before you. So they were clothed with a manifestation of what God is like. Their bodies glistened they were glorious bodies, bodies that would not die, would not get sick, would heal themselves, and the goodness of God radiated out of their life so that anyone seeing Adam and Eve were seeing the image of God, exactly as God made them to be in the earth. Come on, think about this. You've clothed them with glory. So they were covered with a life of God. Now, even now, when you get in the presence of God and the presence of God begins to fill you, there is a joy and a life and a brightness and a light on your countenance. You get to have a look in, in, in India and some of these places where people have a dark skin and, and, and demons have got a hold of them. They look dark and they look black. And when they get saved and the light, the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ float, comes into their heart, their faces shine. You look different when God is in your life. Your countenance looks different when He's coming forth. There is a difference. There's something inside flowing out. Come on. So they were crowned with glory and honor. That word honor means literally they were given, they looked majestic. They looked amazing. They looked extraordinary. So if you came into the world in the days when Adam and Eve were here, the highlight of everything that you saw, no matter how beautiful it was, <gasps> oh, what is that? Oh, it's my son and daughter carrying my glory and majesty and reflecting me into the world I've made. You see, 
That's why when the Bible says, all have sinned, most of us hear that bit. What we miss is the next bit, have fallen short of the glory of God. Well, that word short, falling short, means we've become inferior or we've come and slipped well below what God created us to be like and to function like. Amazing, isn't it, eh? That's how God designed us. Now, now you'll understand why it says, and we'll fix the next one in Genesis chapter 2, verse 31, the man and his wife were naked and they were not ashamed. So how did God design us? Unashamed. What was the key to being unashamed? To have no self-consciousness whatsoever, to be conscious and to be filled with the presence, glory, and wonder of what God is like. Now, that is how he started. Do you think he's going to finish with something different than that? Hey? Uh, and you see, what happens is mentally, what you'll be doing is this. Mentally, we look at what is, and that's our measuring stick. And you've always got to shift that measuring stick and say, what did God intend that's my possibilities. That's my future if I can believe for it. So when we get to this issue of shame, you're going to begin to see that shame was never part. See, they were not ashamed. I'm ashamed. Ah, ah, God's my father. He's put me in charge of it all. Look at the glory. Oh. I'm ashamed. Expressive, creative. Adam was extremely creative. Listen, if we brought every animal in the world to you, you didn't know any of their names, we said, give them all a name. You'd be struggling. Why? Because uh, we've fallen short of that creative realm that God originally put into us. But even though we've fallen short of it, it's still there because that's who we are. You can't change the child who's your child that broke his arm. The broken arm doesn't, all it means is he can't function properly but he's still your child and he's still valuable. Huh? You can fix, if you can get the arm fixed up, he begin to function again just like he was designed to do. And so we've got to see that God's plan for us is to begin, not is to become connected to him again and then to learn how to function like he intended us to function in our marriages, our families, our finances, our business, our life, wherever God's called you to be, being creative and unashamed of course, you're going to find the moment you get like that, there's going to be the big put down. Who do you think you are? So you've got to deal with shame in your own life and then learn how to handle shame around you. Because you're going to, there's no way we're going to get away from actually exposure to shaming of various kinds. So unashamed. Notice in Proverbs 3 verse 5 it says, or 35, it says, The wise inherit glory, but shame is the legacy of fools interesting statement. I looked and I found, looked up for uh, words where, where glory and shame were together, and I found there's a whole heap of them. I'm only going to give you that one. This is the wise, yeah? The wise. <laughs> the wise. The wise man says yes to God. Okay? He is full of glory. He shall inherit glory. In other words, if we connect with God, the one thing He wants to put in our lives is His glory, His goodness, His creativity, His passion, His desires, His life, and He wants you to truly come alive and live life. Right? It's religion's the problem. Right? But it says the fool inherits shame. So I've got to understand this. Shame is for God's enemies, 
not for his family. Shame has little or no place in the family of God. God has not called us to shame, He's called us to glory. But His enemies, all through the Bible it talks about His enemies being covered with shame. Who's His key enemy? Lucifer, the angel, once moving in heavenly realms, who by rebellion against God, sinned and fell short of His former glory and became a demon. So if an angel can become a demon, what could we become if we let go of God? There's no limits to how bad we can become but we are still at the core of our being, made in the image of God. It's just damaged by sin and our yielding to sin. So if we can address this kind of stuff, we can get out. Man, you've got some great, we've got some possibilities here, haven't we? Some good possibilities here, right? Good possibilities here. Possibilities. See, sometimes whole cultures can live in shame. Whole nations can live in shame. Families can live in shame. Marriages can be filled with shame. Individual lives can be filled with shame. Shame is a demonic entity that comes to stop. It's to come to steal some things. Let me just show you how the shame came in. I'm not going to deal with it much. You know, just to tell you this, shame is a thief. Jesus said the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life. Let's look in Genesis 3. And I don't want to go into all the dynamics of it. I'll pick it up a little more. De- I just want to show you a couple of things that happened. See, now notice here. It says in Genesis chapter uh, 3, serpent was very cunning, more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, uh, has God indeed said you'll not eat every tree of the garden? And so God had entered into a debate with her, you see. And eventually, you know the story. It says, uh, verse, uh, verse 6, she gave to a husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord said to Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. Remember, he was naked and unashamed. Now he's naked and shame. And he said, and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Where did you get that information from? Who have you been talking to? Who are you listening to? Oh, you weren't listening to that old shamed-filled devil, were you, by any chance? He will fill you with shame. That's all he's got to give. I will fill you with goodness. That's all I've got to give. And so we just have a look in here. I want to just pick up a couple of things about this. Uh, The first thing you see is that the moment that they sinned, they became self-conscious. They became conscious of their condition because something left them the glory. Now, before there was no awareness at all. Have you ever seen little kids growing up? They're young. You can bath them together. There's no awareness at all of anything different between a boy and a girl. But then there comes an age, and suddenly they know. Now you've got to separate them. can't bath them together. See? And you think, what happened? There's an awareness or a knowing of something they didn't even know about. Now, before, they didn't even think about it. It was a nothing issue. Now it becomes an issue. They become aware of something. So when Adam and Eve fell, they experienced guilt. I have done something wrong. And with that, fear, what if I'm found out? What will happen to me? And with it, shame, something is wrong with me. Now, Adam and Eve really had a big dose of shame because they lost all of that glory. 
Now, I don't know whether Eve, I was wondering how this may have happened. Since it doesn't tell it clearly, we can't speculate. But imagine Eve takes the apple and eats it. Whatever the fruit was that she ate, probably wasn't an apple or something. Anyway, whatever it was she ate, imagine just eating of that fruit and then gradually the glory vanishing off her. And the shock to Adam, perhaps, doesn't actually tell whether the glory left them at the same time or not. But suppose it left off her. He's in a dilemma. Do I walk with her or do I step away and lose her? It says he deliberately did. She was deceived. He deliberately made a decision to do the same as his wife and ate. He rebelled and therefore was held responsible for everything. He was silent when he should have spoken up. And he ended up losing everything for all of us. An incredible thing. It said immediately they got fig leaves and they covered. Now notice this is what they covered. They covered what made them different and unique. That's what shame will do. It will cause you to conceal what makes you different from the person next to you and unique in God's eyes. And for you to be unashamed, you must be able to live with being different and be able to embrace how unique you are. Now you start to see the depth of the problem. Can you see the problem now? Because mostly in our culture, we don't want to be different. If you're a teenager, it's almost paranoid to be different. I've got to go with the crowd. I've got to flow with them. I love it when I see teenagers standing up and they are different. That's why I had so I remember out in the door there and, and, uh, and two girls who were talking to this guy there. And the hair, I've never seen hair like it in my life. Man, I don't know how they even do what they did with it. It was colors. It was all kind of stuff. And, and the girls obviously had an attitude about it. And they said to me, what do you think of this hair? I said, Awesome. And they obviously didn't expect a pastor to pass that kind of opinion about it. And I said, do you want me to tell you why it's awesome? They said, yeah, why? I said, it's because he's got security and confidence enough to be himself and to present himself as he'd like without fearing what you think. Whoa. See? That's one of the ways you think. People are different. They're different. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just different. Who says our way's right? Huh? Come on, it's just different. You go to another country, eat different food. Good on you. Just eat the food. Don't complain about it. Don't compare it or anything like that. So they become ashamed and, and, and conscious of themselves. And, uh, and uh, you see the shame, the terribly painful feeling, something's wrong with me. So the message of shame is like this. It's there's something wrong with me and I'm different. And that's bad. Actually, there's something different about you. And God loves it because it's why he made you and you're good. You get the idea? So that's why you've got to be unashamed. Now, so you see the problem that happened, of course, and they hid from themselves. They hid from God and they, they, there was tremendous pain. Now, there were two things that came about. One, and you've got to see this, shame will steal your identity. Shame, shame, when it gets on your life, will cause you to be afraid to front up for who you are. The first thing that Adam did was in standing in front of a person, his wife, who he loved, he felt ashamed and concealed his maleness. And she likewise concealed her womanhood from him. So shame will cause you to conceal who you are. If you have shame on you, the first thing that will happen is you can't be who you are, you will put on a mask. You will present what's acceptable. 
So unfortunately, church, which should have the answer to shame, often people, this is the one place they put on more masks than any. I got to look good. Boy, it costs a lot to look good. A lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of emotion. God doesn't want you to look good. He wants you to be right before Him. And if you are right before Him, which He calls righteous, then you can be who you are. And you don't have to be ashamed at all. I can be me. I can be me. I don't have to be someone else. I've resigned from being someone else. Now, you see, this is what happens is when shame gets into an environment, a relationship, a family, or into your life, into a culture, then no one can be themselves. They're now got to put on a mask and be something. I don't know. What are we supposed to be? I don't know. I'll ask him. No, he's not too sure either. Ask her. No, I'm blown if I know what I'm supposed to be. But the people who speak loudest to me, I'll be like them. We can never be ourselves when there's toxic shame. So the first thing it steals is your identity. The first thing to be restored is your identity. Who are you? Who are you? I don't know. I don't know. I was told you shouldn't think that. You shouldn't feel like that. You shouldn't do that. You're a naughty boy. And I was so, I don't know who I am anyway. I lost years ago. I got to discover in Christ who I am, what he made me to do, and fulfill that course. See, the second thing as you lose, is you lose, uh, so shame will steal intimacy. It will stop you having intimate relationships. A person filled with shame can never enter into intimate relationships. You know why? It's so obvious, of course. Because I'm so hate what I'm like, I can't show you it. And if I can't show you who I am, if I can't show you my feelings, can't connect with you. If I can't show you my ideas, my thoughts, my dreams, my passions, these are all part of who I am, by the way. If I can't show you those things for fear you'll reject me, I cannot be intimate and you can never know me. And sitting in the church today are multitudes of people who've never got shame off their life to become unashamed, so they can't become intimate anywhere. Intimate with God, intimate with one another, intimate and open in a family environment. And that has got to change. It's not God's design. God wants us to be free of that toxic kind of shame that stops us being who we are and Connecting like we ought to connect in ways which are open and transparent. Hello? And see, so if I'm going to enter into a relationship, my feelings are a part of who I am. I've got to be able to talk about them. If I can't talk about them, share them, be open about them because they're mine, because it might make you unhappy, then now this is fear of what you may do is shutting me down from connecting authentically. And I must, in order to present Christ, I must be authentic in my personal life. So I've got to break free of shame and all the fear it brings. All right, so unashamed. Let me just give you three things that unashamed would look like. I just, I just didn't go looking in a book. I thought, man, I just need to get the hang on, handle on this. God, show me what it would look like. And I've come up with some things. Number one, you are a connected person. I'll explain these terms in a moment. Number two, you are a confident person. Number three, you are a creative person. Now, there's probably lots of other things. I kind of nailed those three down because I think that's what God wants to shift for us. Connected, first of all. Connected instead of being disconnected. I'll explain that in a moment. Confident. Confident in what I am and what I can do and creative. Now, let me just explain each one. I'll give you a couple of examples as I go with it. Number one, connected. 
That means I can remove all the masks and live out my true identity as a child and representative of God. See, connected means I can actually connect with myself, connect with God, and connect with you. I can be true to who I am. You don't like it? It's not my problem. See, I'm not going to be shamed or afraid of what you think or what you like. I can be me. Don't like it? It's no problem. Don't want you to like me. See, God likes me, loves me, and I'm content to draw from that. The other is inconvenient and hurtful at times, but we get over that. See, see, that gets you the connected kind of person. See, so shame causes us to cover and conceal ourselves. We can't connect properly. Can't connect for one another. See, often church is a very lonely place because of shame. People can't connect. Okay then, and so that's a verse. Now let me give you an example. Unashamed means I am free to live out my true identity. I can be me. And a great example of it is found in 2 Samuel 6 is David, King David. And David is absolutely uninhibited, unashamed, he can just be himself in front of the whole, whole nation. He goes out there and they've never done it before. They've got They've got trumpets, they've got musicians, they've got everyone out there, and he just girds himself up, and he's leaping and dancing and preaching. Don't worry about anyone. Don't care what anyone thinks. But uh, that's David, and Jesus was called son of David. Jesus must have been quite expressive too. In fact, the religious people, when when they saw everyone yelling when Jesus came into town, they said, stop, 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 stop. See, religion doesn't want you to be expressive. It thinks that's irreverent. Oh, give me a break. It's not being irreverent. It's actually expressing. Jesus said this. He said, listen. He said, you shut the kids up, even the stones will yell out. I wish they'd shut the kids up. Have the stones all yelling. Banging together. Man. So, so David was totally uninhibited. He could be free. Worry what anyone thought. He was free inside to express his joy, his life, his feelings. Jesus, of course, was free as well. He could weep at the tomb of a friend. Uh, he could laugh with his friends and his disciples. He could have fun with them. He could be straight up and angry. He could express his emotions freely. So one of the things is when you're unashamed, you're free to be who you are. When I asked that question years ago of myself, I was shocked. I couldn't answer it. I thought I got so lost. When did I get lost? When did I just get lost? And didn't know who I am or what I really want. See? So, so the first thing is, if you're unashamed, actually free to be who you are. You don't have to worry about what people are thinking of you. Be controlled by what they think of you. You can just actually express. You become very expressive. Now, a lot of people are unexpressive because actually it's demonic bondage. It's demonic bondage. They've been shamed, and what for them is normal, and they think that's me. Actually, I'm sorry, I have to inform you, gladly inform you today, that that uptight, staunch, locked up, emotionless person that that you, you project out as who you are is a broken, damaged, fallen short of the glory of God person that God loves and values, wants to lift up and heal that broken part of your life. So what? So you can be free. Now, you'll express the life different to me, but you'll still express it. There are many ways we can express joy, but it should show on the face. Okay, the second one that should be confident. I can confidently fulfill God's assignment 
and be free from the fear of people or their opinions. So every person, how many believe God has a purpose or an assignment for your life? Well, you should be confident doing it then. See? And you see, because everyone else got a plan for your life, but you need to be confident in what God called you to do. Able to do it without any shame causes us to compare ourselves, and then we try to be like everyone else and do what they want. See, David, notice this, when David was doing all his celebrating, and this is the bit I love, immediately his wife looked out the window and she tried to toxic shame him. Who do you think you are? You're supposed to be the king of Israel. This is what you're doing. Blah, 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 blah. He says, ha, I didn't. You thought that was something? You watched me. Let's round up. I'm going to be even worse. Now, he refused to be shamed. He was able to stand up in what he's called to be. And the next day he got up. You know what he did? He said, this is what we do now. We will now have 24 hours of this. And he set up courses of musicians. Never been done in history before. And he sets up 24 courses of musicians, or 12 courses of musicians, around 24 hours. He sent up all these courses of musicians to praise, worship, do stuff before God. No, I've never seen it before. Oh, never done it that way before. Well, I got this creative idea from God. I got this thing. What are you on about? No, don't put me down. I'm moving forward with these great things that God's given me to do. See? And in the area he was called to serve, he became incredibly creative. That brings you to the last one. See, creative means in the area that you, are, you serve, you come up with ideas no one has ever thought of before. You don't follow the crowd. You become the crowd leader. You're free to express the creative wisdom of God through your gifts and abilities. So you've got to value those. Shame will cause you to not value them. What did Gideon do? Gideon changed a nation. But you know how he started? God said, oh, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon manifested shame. Oh, I'm the youngest in the family. I have a bunch of education. I can't fight. And we don't have much money. We're a small family. And God said, when you're finished, you are a mighty warrior. I will use you to save a nation. Oh, really? He needed a little bit of persuading to get out of his shame. But once he got the word of God about who he was. He got God's perspective on who he was and agreed with God's perspective. Then he did what God called him to do. It's brilliant to see it. All kinds of guys in the Bible did the same kind of thing. Now, you're not called necessarily to go out and conquer an enemy army out there, but wherever your position in this city or region, God wants you to be unashamed confident in who you are and what you're called to do and creatively do something no one else really thought of it doing it that way before when Solomon got on the on the throne he did it too and he became so famous that people come from all around the world what to see the creative wisdom of God they were smarter sharper better had it working better and people come and say that's something else that's what the church is called to do now, by the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed to the principalities and powers who sought to shame us, hold us down, stop us standing up, and living in a place of fear and short of the glory of God. Now, by the church, by you and me, God wants to reveal His wisdom. And you can't do that if you're full of shame. You've got to come to agreement with what God says about who you are, what you're called to do, and what you've got inside you to help you to do it. That's the agreement. I will share with you over the next couple of weeks just how, what shame is, how you can actually recognize it. Because many of you here will be just taken in the concept in the initial stage, but you won't realize how deeply it's in your life and relationships. And you won't even realize how much the people around you are shaming you. 
and reinforcing that. But once we uncover what it looks like, feels like, and how it manifests itself, you will start to recognize it. And then we're going to begin to talk about how you get yourself out of it. There's a process to get out of it. It's not just a prayer. There's some steps you take that change your life. And I want to show you what they are so all of us can step up and move out. How many people, how many people, when we did the series on offenses, then began to recognize them just like that? I'm unbelieving God will be the same on this one of shame. God wants us to arise, be bold, and be who he called us to be, full of his glory. So, so Paul says, Christ in you. God put his spirit in you, and it's the hope that you will manifest the goodness, the life, the light, the glory of God. Come on, let's stand up and give the Lord a clap.